Sundays. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. South Africa have taken an unassailable 2-0 lead in their three-match series against India after a comprehensive victory at Supersport Park in Centurion today. And the man of the moment was the debutant, Lungi Ngiri, picking up six uh, on the final day to wrap things up for the Proteas. We join now by Natalie Germanis. Natalie, in the end, uh, if you look at the scorecards, uh, comprehensive victory on paper, it looks that way, but it was uh, a bit closer than that uh, up till yesterday. Today it was all about the Proteas. Well, yeah, it was probably closer than what 135-run victory will say to you. But at the same time, I would say if you looked at each day, the Proteas probably would have felt on top at pretty much at the end of each day. So um, I think on paper, you would say 135-run victory sounds like a crushing victory, and it probably was in the end, especially considering the wicket was more like a subcontinent wicket. Um, and, and South Africa seemed to adapt much quicker than India did, which makes it just it's very interesting. And I don't quite understand why India struggled so much on that wicket. Their bowlers should have felt at home and their batters should have felt at home, but they didn't. You have to give credit, of course, to South Africa because they batted and bowled beautifully considering the conditions. But I, I would think that from the, if, you, if you had to break it down, South Africa probably won each day in the end, especially when you take the conditions into account. Absolutely. And the Proteas this morning would have approached it, uh, obviously, line and length, want to put the ball in the right sort of place and, and hope that that's good enough to get the wickets. But India were almost the architects of their own demise. Uh, Pujara, who, who had looked pretty good uh, up until that point in his innings, running himself out again for the second time in a test match. And that's pretty much what, what started the rot. I mean, the, the Indian management must be livid. Well, I'm sure they are because he was going for the third run. It wasn't um, a one run in a misfield and something silly happened. He was going for a third run, which in the situation was absolutely unnecessary. And it, to me, that's bad match awareness because Lungi and Giri ran after the ball, stopped it from actually going over the boundary, and it's A.B. de Villiers throwing the ball in. He is, he's one of the quickest when it comes to getting the ball in his hand and releasing it. That, that, to me, is very bad match awareness. You've already got two runs. There's absolutely no need for the third run. And this is where I felt like India were never 100% in the game. They just seemed to lose their focus and concentration at too many crucial periods. And, and even at the, the periods where maybe you might not consider them so crucial, they must have lost their concentration as well, and you wouldn't have even really known about it. So it's almost like they weren't really in the game. And and I and I find that actually a little bit puzzling from their point of view, especially considering they'd already gone one nil down. That felt like they hadn't actually learned any lessons from Newland. We we spoke last night and we we. Obviously, we didn't know what would happen today, but we thought that uh, Keshev Maharaj might have a, a pretty big role to play today. He didn't bowl that much. In the end, it was the debutant, Lungi Ngidi, who, who really put his hand up. And uh, boy, is there a bright star on the Proteas horizon. Yeah, unfortunately for Keshev, he, he could only bowl six overs in the end. Um, and he bowled, he bowled quite nicely. I just think he, he wasn't able to get that opportunity to have that long spell that he would have needed to get into a bit of a rhythm and then actually be able to make an impact. But it happens when your steamers are going to take the wickets. You've got four steamers, and this is what Otis Gibson has already said. He wants to continue with the four steamers for South Africa as long as he possibly can. And if you're going to have four steamers, unfortunately the spinner in South African conditions is generally going to play a sort of a backside ball. That's just how it is, unfortunately. Um, but Lungi Ngiri was 
absolutely brilliant today, as he had been through the entire test match. I think he grabbed the moment with both hands to use what is a bit of a cliche really now, but he, that's really what he did do. And he never seemed to be nervous. The occasion never seemed to really get to him. He just went out there and did what he would do either for the Titans or even for the amateur side. And it shows how special he is. He's incredibly talented. And I'm sure if he continues to be a part of the process setup, those, those skills and the talent that he has, it'll just get, it'll just serve him and the Proteas more and more as the time goes on. Absolutely. And, uh, I mean, just a week ago, he wasn't even in the squad, gets called up, uh, he makes his debut and, and wins man of the match. You, you can't ask for a better debut than that. But you've also got to think of somebody like Dale Stain, who who obviously got injured and, and he's the reason why Ngidi did get called up and, and selected for this test match. Looking at a performance like that, Ngidi's only 21 years old, looking at the, the sort of history of injuries that Dale Stayen has had, do you think he's going to struggle to get back into the side, particularly with what's going on on the periphery? Yeah, it's, it's very difficult to say. I know a lot of people say he's having a history of injuries and his injuries are reoccurring. It's actually a little unfair to say that because Dale Stayen's shoulder injury was a freak injury. It's not something that happens with a cricketer. In fact, it's only the second time in history this, this shoulder injury has ever happened. It normally happens with a tra- some kind of trauma. So whether it be a car accident or something else falling on your shoulder or banging your shoulder, whatever it may be, that's where that sort of injury that he had normally happens. So it is a freak injury. It's not a reoccurring hamstring problem or a knee problem. So to say that he's injury prone is a little bit unfair because he really wasn't actually through his career. He would have the normal fast bowler injury through overuse and through the fact that, well, to be, to be quite honest, humans shouldn't be doing fast bowling. The body was not built for it. So he, he just was very unlucky, unfortunately. And I think a bruised heel that he suffered was probably because of the lack of cricket that he, that he had. So it's, 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 he's unlucky from, from my point of view, and I don't think he's injury prone. But the question remains, if he gets fit for Australia, will, he, will there be a place for him? That'll only be obviously up to Oakley's Gibson and the selectors to decide. I still feel that if he can get himself fit, he would still be really useful to the Proteus, especially against Australia. And South Africa will obviously have to sit down and think what their best combination of fast bowlers will be. For now, I would think Lumbi and Yedi has cemented his place for now alongside the likes of Pahitorobado, who certainly has done the same thing. But it's still new times for him. Lumbi Yedi himself has suffered a few injuries of late, so we'll have to see how his fitness goes as well. The Proteas now 2 0 up. It's a three match series. They head to the Wanderers. Is this an opportunity for Otis Gibson and the selectors to try some other players, or are we going to go for the jugular and uh, try and whitewash the series, Natalie? Well, the question remains, first of all, what's uh, going to happen with Aidan Mockham? If he's not fit, then obviously they do have to make a change. They've got the likes of Tennis De Brain on the side and Temba Bavuma. If they bring in somebody else, well, we'll wait and see. But if he is fit, they might consider maybe some differences within the batting lineup. I don't think we'll see too many changes because of the fact that I think Otis Gibson is looking more about the future and building this team to the future and making sure that they become a powerhouse test side. I get the feeling from Otis Gibson that 2-0 is a nice result and 2-1 is a nice result against the, the, the number one test playing nation in the world, but 3-0 is what he wants. And I think he really will work for that. I don't think he's happy enough with just a series victory. He wants that whitewash, and he wants to make this team into something very strong. 
Absolutely, and uh, it's not going to be easy at the ball ring for sure. Natalie Jemanis, thank you very much for that. We look forward to catching up uh, in that uh, third test. And uh, thanks for your coverage on this one here on SAFM. Much appreciated. Thanks very much, Brad. SAFM Sports Wrap. You're listening to SAFM, South Africa's news and information leader. And, uh, yeah, we are well into the thick of it. The 2018 Dakar Rally, probably one of the most brutal motorsport events on the global calendar. And this year has been no different. Uh, we join now by Wesley Botton from The Citizen, who's been following this one closely. Wes, uh, it's weird chatting to you uh, about a sport about engines for a change. Normally we chat athletics, but uh, you've been following this one very, very closely. Yeah, the sports I like don't require engines. You get disqualified for using them. It's, it's <laughs> been a nice change for it. Let's let's talk about the race itself. I mean, obviously in South America after the the move a few years ago uh, from from the, the the perils of of up north in Africa, but that hasn't yeah. taken away from how tough this race is. Uh, and this one in particular has been extremely brutal. It has, but one of the most promising things I think in this race has been um, the resilience of the South African guys. We still haven't had anybody withdraw, which I think is phenomenal. Um it, Every year we see a lot of people withdrawing from the Dakar. Like you say, it really is one of the most grueling events um, in sport. But you would expect, especially because most of our South African guys are amateur, that they would have fallen by the wayside by now, or at least some of them. But they're still going strong, and we've only got a few stages left. So I think we might see um, quite an awesome result in having all the South African guys cross the finish line. That would be amazing. Yeah, absolutely. Let's talk about uh, general classification. Obviously, we, we do have some, some great drivers who, who have won before and, and are challenging for titles once again. And uh, obviously, the one that springs to mind first is, is Janil de Villiers. How's he been going? Yeah, he's doing okay. He's been very consistent. Um, he's had a few battles with illness and that sort of thing, but he's kind of pushed it aside and managed to get on with it. Um, but that consistency hasn't been good enough, unfortunately. He's, he's sitting in, in about fifth at the moment. Um, it depends on today's results. Uh, he had quite a good drive today, but again, not the best. Um, he hasn't won a stage, which is unusual. But that experience and that consistency has got him in the top five. And um, I guess he'll be hoping that some of the guys ahead of him make mistakes over the next few stages. It's very close between two and five. So he's definitely got a chance of getting into the top two at least. But um, Carl Sainz out front is just killing it. I, I don't see anybody catching him unless unless he hits a rock or he rolls his car. Um, touch wood for him. But... I just don't see them closing that gap over the next few days. But, I mean, de Villiers has done well. He's, he's certainly the best rally driver that South Africa's had in a very long time. And, and again, you know, just proving that, that we can rely on the guy to, to put up good results. Yeah, absolutely. And he's he's been driving with uh, navigator Dirk von Zitzewitz for a long time as well. So there's obviously a great understanding between uh, between those two. But you mentioned the South Africans. I mean, there's from a from a, a racing team perspective, Toyota Gazoo Racing SA has taken out three cars this year. They normally just go with two. And again, you you talk about the consistency of it. They've got some great drivers, and they they've been pretty consistent this one. Very. They've, they've been very consistent. You know, the, the Peugeot team who, who are leading at the moment um, probably going to win the race. We're, we're easily the favourites. You know, those buggies that they're racing on are very light. makes a big difference over the dunes. Um, I think that the Toyota Gazoo guys were hoping that once they got to Bolivia, um, even though it was at high altitude, I think they were hoping the gravel roads might help. But it just didn't say those those. Those buggies are too quick, and, and they haven't been able to put up much of a fight. So the Peugeot guys are, you know, they have got a big gap. 
uh, Stefan Peterhansel, who was the, the favourite probably beforehand, has had some issues. So the Toyota Gazoo guys are just behind him, and they'll be hoping to catch him. Um, but all three of the cars are not just still in the race, but all three of them are still very competitive, and, and they're filling places three to five. Nasser Al-Hatia from, from Qatar, who's probably the best of the Toyota Gazoo guys this year, just hasn't had any luck. Eh? He's, had, he's had a horrible race. He's had so many punctures. He got stuck in a hole. He, um, he had issues yesterday. He, he had a rock, and it, it messed up his suspension. So um, I think if he had a bit more luck on his side, Toyota Gazoo would be up there, and I think Carlos Sainz would be in trouble. But unfortunately for them, it just hasn't happened. But, you know, like you said, good to see that consistency. Um, the other guy that's, that's competing for them is Tim Brink, the Dutchman, and he's in fourth. And as we said earlier, De Villiers is in fifth. So the, the guys are not – there's no issues with the cars. They were saying yesterday, you know, they're very happy with the way the vehicles have performed. It's simply that the, the Peugeot um, buggies are just too quick and they, they haven't been able to compete. They'll take on some consolation, I think, from the fact that Peugeot has said this is the last year they're going to be racing those buggies. So maybe Toyota Kazoo can come back next year and, and give it a better go. But but in saying that too, Wes, they they're still within striking distance in, in a race like a Dakar. An hour on the general classification is is doable. I mean, a, a team hits a rock and and and, and has a, a major mechanical, you, you're back in business. Oh yes, absolutely. And Saints, I think of anybody. Saints has been the most lucky. Um, Peter Hansel, his teammate, has not. But Saints has had almost no major problems. So I guess statistically you're kind of hoping that whatever problems he's going to face is going to come in the next few days. But it really is his race to lose. So he's got almost an hour on the rest of the field, and then the next four guys are really close to each other. Um, so I think those next four guys are really just going to be hoping that maybe he makes a mistake. Like you said, maybe there's a, a technical issue with the car. Maybe he has a mechanical failure. It can certainly happen. And it, it wouldn't be out of the realms of existence that both Peugeot cars um, have problems, that the three Toyota cars come through. So it's not over. And tomorrow's stage is grueling. And tomorrow's stage is over 500K. So uh, a lot can happen tomorrow. And, and the Toyota guys will just be holding stands that their cars push through. Um, and that maybe maybe those Peugeot vehicles have, have some issues. But, yeah, you're right, 100%. Um, Sainz is far ahead at this point. But an hour uh, when you're racing over this kind of distance is probably not that much. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's just uh, switch tack slightly as well, if we can. Wes, uh, I know you, you also follow athletics very closely. We mentioned it yesterday. Laureus Sports uh, for Good Foundation announcing their uh, nominees for their awards, their prestigious awards yesterday. And uh, there's a big one for South Africa. Custa Semenya being nominated in the category of Sports Woman of the Year. I believe it's the first time a South African to be nominated in that category. Uh, and great recognition for Custa. She's had a, a wonderful year. She's uh, up against some tough competition, though. Very tough. Yeah, it's not going to be an easy thing to win. Um, and I think there probably are a couple of ladies that have been nominated who are kind of more favoured than, than she is to get the award. But just to be nominated, like you say, the first South African ever to be nominated for the Sportswoman of the Year, um, and that's a fantastic achievement in itself. And I think Casta will be delighted because she, I think she got... Um, the short end of the stick last year at the IAAF Awards, she, she wasn't one of the finalists. I really thought that she would be. I imagine she probably thought that she would be. So to be recognized against um, athletes from a variety of codes from around the world, I think it's, it's perhaps uh, even more special than, than getting an IAAF Award. So just being recognized as one of the six top female athletes in the world this year, you know, as South Africans, I think we should be proud of Casper.
Absolutely, we should be singing that one from the rooftops. And it's a, a great opportunity for, as you say, for, for someone like us to be recognized outside of the world of, of athletics. Uh, I mean, the who's who in the sporting world from all sporting codes will be there and all eyes will be on uh, on, on the awards as well. So so great opportunity for her to, to build the Caster Semenya brand outside of athletics. Yes, definitely. You know, in track and field, she's she's very well known. But, you know, I'm never too sure, you know, someone who watches football, how much does he know about athletics? Or, or say, somebody who watches tennis, how much do they know about basketball? So this kind of thing um, is great for exposure outside of the sport that they're competing in. But, you know, in the same breath, it makes it very difficult because if you're trying to predict who's going to win this award, it's, it's almost impossible. I don't know how you compare... Uh, Serena Williams to to Casta Semenya. I just don't know how they do that, and I guess it's a subjective thing. And and for that reason, um, I don't think anybody should throw their toys or get too upset if their favourite person doesn't win. And again, it's just the the recognition, just the fact that they've picked her as she's one of two track and field athletes that that are on the list. Alison Felix, the American sprinter, is the other one. Um, And you would think that Semenya's got the better chance than than Felix, but yeah, you know, just being on that list with some of those athletes, Serena Williams, Katie Ledecky's on there, uh, it's nice. It's nice just to see Casta Semenya's name on that list. Absolutely. Gabriel Muguruza on there as well. So yeah, fantastic. Wes Botten, as always, great to catch up. Uh, enjoy the rest of the Dakar. We look forward to catching up again soon here on SAFM Sports Wrap. Awesome. Thanks, mate. Keep well. SAFM Sports Wrap. On to some football now here on Sport Trap. And uh, Mamelodi Sundowns officially unveiled four new players at their Kluid Corp headquarters in Johannesburg this afternoon. New Zealand international Jeremy Brockies joined the team from Supersports United, while Aubrey Gormas coming from Cape Town City. Uruguayan winger Gaston Serino joins from Bolivian club Bolivar. And Siabonga Zulus coming from Platinum Stars. Coach Pizzo Mosimane explains the importance of strengthening their team. We are here for a long haul. And... Um it is very important that we we don't miss a step of regenerating the team and strengthening the team. I think everybody knows that uh, we have almost lost the CBD. It's no longer here. So what do we do as Mamelodi Sundowns when the CBD is not here? We have to try and form something different and bring another combination. So, and, and as quick as possible. The challenge on doing that is, uh, uh, and I've seen a lot of teams even in South Africa and overseas, you can talk about um, uh, Inter Milan, you can talk about Liverpool, you can talk about um, AC Milan, you can talk about all these teams, even Man United at this point in time. Uh, They're going through the process of rebuilding. And the challenge when you rebuild the team, you need to rebuild the team whilst the team is winning. That's the biggest problem. We have seen also teams in South Africa here reaching the peak and not coming back quicker. And that is the process. That's what, uh, uh, that is the situation. And you can never say it's right or wrong in terms of your, your, the process of doing it. But we have to do it. So at this point in time, uh, we are in the process of rebuilding the team. I think we had a fantastic team that got 71 points. It won the Telcom Cup in the same year. It won the league. It went the following year in few months to win the the the, the Super Cup uh, uh, in Africa. And it's a team that went to Japan to represent the continent. We need to to be open-minded because I'm always an open-minded and I speak straight.
I don't have time to speak different. We need to rebuild the team of Mabinori Sundowns. Well, Jeremy Brocky finally joined the Brazilians on Monday after several months of speculation. He was also registered for the CAF Champions League that will commence next month. The former Supersport United striker believes he can deliver for his new team. There's been a lot of talk over the last wee while of, of Sundowns, uh, the attraction, and um, it, it took a long time to get over the line, but I'm very thankful for Supersport and, and Sundowns coming to an agreement to, to give me this chance and opportunity to come and play for the club. The style of play that they play, the the ambition to want to win every trophy and, and competition that they that they participate in, um, it reaches and and matches my my own personal goals. Um, I feel that uh, by watching Sundowns when I've played against them or uh, when I watch them on TV, uh, they create uh, a, a lot of chances to score goals. And um, I'm coming here. I'm not a I'm not an Aubrey. I'm not a Timber. I'm not a Percy or, or Karma. I'm a I'm a different type of player. I'm not going to be able to do the things that that they do. But I think that um, the way that I play, I'll complement them very well. And uh, I've I've been training with the team now for for a couple of days, and I'm very impressed with with the intensity and the change room has has welcomed me. Uh, I feel feel like I'm home already. Um, the supporters have welcomed me, and. Um, I'm available to play on, on Saturday, whether whether I get that opportunity or not. Um, I know there's a lot of depth in this changing room, um, but when my chance comes, I, I hope to take it and, and uh, be lifting trophies with this special club. That's about it for SAFM Sports Trap tonight. Before I go, quick Momentum One Day Cup update. The Cape Cobras are 121 for 1. They need another 119 runs to win against the Knights at Newlands, while the Titans are 108 for 2. They need another 69 runs for victory against the Lions. That in the 24th over. Coming up on the other side of 7 o'clock, it is the talk shop with Naledi and Criselda. Have yourself a superb evening. From myself and my team in Johannesburg, Luyolo and Phineas, thank you for your help tonight, gentlemen. It is 7 o'clock and time for your news.